This is The Sidebar for the week of May 5th, 2017. I'm Steve Scully in Washington. With both parties recruiting candidates to run for office during the 2018 midterm elections, our guest this week is Luann Bennett, who ran and lost last year. She challenged Republican Representative Barbara Comstock in the race to represent Virginia's 10th district. And we talked with her about her experiences running for office. One of the most disturbing pieces of this is that there is very little interest in the truth when you're paying millions of dollars to put ads on the air. That's that's unfortunate. Luann Bennett, one year ago, you were immersed in one of the most expensive and competitive House races in the country. What's it like to be a candidate for Congress? It was an incredible experience, Steve. Um, As you know, I had been in the business world for 35 years. Um, I had lived in the 10th District, moved to Great Falls in 1980 with my first husband. Um, We built a business and raised our kids in the 10th District. Um, And, but I, my husband died and I was remarried um, about 12 years ago to Congressman Jim Moran. So that was my introduction to our government. And surprisingly found that our government is really an can be an important driver in people's lives. It can really be a force for good, um, watching Jim and what he did for the 8th District. So that was really my introduction. I had no plan to run for public office, um, but it was really an amazing experience having done it. So let's take a step back in the process, because right now, both Mm -hmm. parties are recruiting candidates to Mm -hmm. run in 2018. Yes. What was it like for Luann Bennett? Did you decide? Did the party recruit you? How did it all come about? I got a phone call from Congressman Don Beyer on September 2nd, 2015. I remember the day. And he called me and said, Luann, I'd like to talk to you about something. And I said, sure, Don, what is it? And he said, um... We at the DCCC would like to know whether you might consider running for the 10th District Congressional seat. And since it was something I'd never really thought about, I said, well, I'll consider it. You know, I'm happy to talk. He said, well, will you talk to some people here at the DCCC? I said, I'm happy to. Feel free to give them my phone number. And that's how it began. What was going through your head after that call? Um... A lot of things were going through my head. I had been, as I said, I had a 35-year career in um, the private sector. I had raised my kids as a single mom. My boys are all in their 30s. I have a grandchild. And I had been looking for um, some way to give back and what I would do in my next chapter of my life. Um, So this was something that did intrigued me because it was a a way to be impactful and to give back Um, because we have been, you know, I've been lucky in life, even though I lost a husband and had tragedy. All lives have tragedy. But my kids and I have been fortunate, but too many people are still struggling. Um, So 
I guess one of the things I had to think about was how does my business run? I mean, I truly do work five days a week in the real estate business. So I was a little bit concerned about whether I could have my business go on without me because I knew it would be a full-time job. So did you come up with the the pros and the cons? Did you oh, write sure. it down on a I piece did of all paper? of that. <laughs> you bet. <laughs> what were the cons? What were the reasons to say, you know what, maybe I won't do this? I knew that politics had gotten ugly and that I would be putting my reputation out there. And I believe, you know, I had built a good reputation in the business world. And um, I knew that who I was running against um, and she wouldn't hesitate to do whatever she had to do to beat me. And so I, that was something I had to think about and I had to talk to my kids about to make sure that they were gonna be comfortable seeing their mother maligned publicly. Um, so that was a big consideration, of course, you know, getting my business organized so that it could go on pretty much without me for a year and then possibly beyond. So there was those were the two, I think, biggest things that I had to convince myself that I could manage. You get the phone call on September the 2nd, mm -hmm. 2015. When did Lou Ann Bennett decide I'm jumping in this race? Probably November by the time I really committed. And it was, I didn't sleep that whole fall. The hardest part was making the decision for me. Once I made the decision, it was fine. I, then I was, it was full steam ahead and I was, you know, ready to go. But making that decision, it was a big step. It was a complete change of career for me, a complete change of life for me. So, um, you know, that's... That's kind of how it went. We announced on December 10th, um, but I pretty much decided mid-November. And one of the reasons we wanted to invite you to our C-SPAN studios is, is to really talk about the personal toll mm. in running for public office. We follow the campaigns. We follow the horse race. We follow the mm -hmm. polling, where the Democrats are, where the Republicans are. But for you to get this operation up and running, a whole new campaign, mm -hmm. uh, while still dealing with the issues of being a mom and a grandmother and, and, and having a business. Walk us through that process. Well, Steve, I have to tell you, it's a fascinating process and one that I am so grateful to have had. Building a campaign is very much like building a startup. And I didn't really make the correlation except that two of my sons are doing tech startups at the same time as I was running, decided to run for office. And when we would get together, we'd talk about what we were doing. And in so many respects, they were similar. We were building an organization. We were raising money. We were selling a product. In my case, the product being me. Um, but it's very, very similar to building a startup. Um, and that was kind of a surprise to me. Um, it was incredible to get out into the district. Uh, one of the great gifts of doing this is that you get to meet a lot of people that you wouldn't otherwise meet. And it was across a very diverse district. Um, 
and I met great, great friends. And I know it sounds corny. I know you hear it from everyone who runs for office, but the American people are good. And it gives me such hope in spite of where we are right now. It gives me great hope for our future because people are good on both sides of the aisle. Um, we just have to find a way to talk to one another. And you mentioned the diversity of the district because mm -hmm. there are not that many competitive house districts in mm -hmm. this country, but Virginia 10 is one of them. So mm -hmm. walk us through the political demographics of this area outside of Washington, D.C. and in Northern Virginia. Sure. Um, the 10th district was drawn to be a Republican district. It was drawn when Frank Wolf was still the congressman representing the district. So it was a Republican-leaning district um, and pretty solidly Republican when it was redrawn. Over time, because of the growth in Loudoun County and the diversity in Loudoun County, it has moved more and more Democratic. So when Barbara Comstock first ran for office in her first campaign, it was probably about a 4% leaning Republican district. By 2016, when I ran, it was a 2% leaning Republican district. And the feeling was that in a presidential election year, when Democrats tend to come out more than in an off year, this would be a good time to challenge Barbara Comstock considering the demographics. We have a very large Muslim population in the 10th district um, at the Adams Center. Wonderful, wonderful community of people. We have a tech industry that has great diversity in it. We have a large Korean population, a fairly large Indian population. Um, and then, of course, out west in the western part of the district in Clark and Frederick counties, we have a lot of small towns and rural areas. So um, it's, it is a fascinating place to be and one that I felt like my background, having grown up on a farm in Illinois, really suited me. I lived in the eastern part of the district in Great Falls and McLean since 1980, but I'd grown up in the country, so I felt like I could relate to both sides of the district. And Lou Ann Bennett, I want to come back to the, the fall campaign, Hillary Clinton, uh, mm -hmm. Senator Tim Kaine, but let's talk about the early stages of the process for sure. you in the, the startup of the Lou Ann Bennett congressional campaign. Mm -hmm. How much money did you have to raise? Um, we raised just under $3 million, and I believe that Barbara raised a little over $3 million. However, our campaign cost from beginning to end about $10 million, as, as did hers. So it was a $20 million race for a House seat. For which, one House seat. For one seat in the House of Representatives. Now, that's because it's a very competitive district. I will say in the 8th District, where it's a solidly Democratic district, those races are not that expensive. But this being a competitive district in a year when the Democrats had committed to trying to take over the House and the Republicans had no intention of letting the seat go, you know, it became quite a bloody battle of fundraising. How do you raise the money? Who do you call? Where you, do you begin? You begin with your friends and family, sadly. <laughs> so um, I was very fortunate. Did they all give? <laughs> so many of them gave. And I am will be forever indebted to so many people. I'll spend the rest of my life trying to give back to them because my friends and family really stepped up. And I'm really grateful for that. And then you kind of 
spread out. You go in concentric circles. You first go to your friends and family. Then you go to other Democrats who have given in the area. Then you branch out more to statewide Democrats. And then you branch out to national Democrats. And then, of course, there is the special interest giving that, you know, for a Democrat, it's the environmental groups. I'm a strong believer in protecting the environment and um, was able to attract that money. Um, women's rights. I've been a strong advocate of equality and women's rights and attracted that money. Um, and then, you know, the Democrats always go after the union money. And so, you know, you build it that way. And the party was very generous, and as were the members. Well, that's my next question, because both the Democrats and Republicans have congressional campaign committees. So what invol- what type of involvement did they have in your campaign? A lot. Um, my staff was in regular communication with the DCCC, and we met jointly, frequently, when big strategic decisions were made. Um, they were made in concert. Um, so they had quite a lot of influence over the campaign, and maybe more so because I was a first-time candidate. Um, Did you have to go to candidate school? Do they train you on how to perform? They actually do. <laughs> so how does that work? Well, they have, you know, weekends there that you they do, you know, seminars on fundraising, on, um, you know, they, they put you in front of a camera, and they help you learn how to speak in front of a camera, um, you know, and they they teach you and mentor you along the way. Now, also, we were we're so close to Washington that I they were I think a little bit more involved in our campaign because of proximity. They could be. It was easy for them to come out to our office and help us with things. And you mentioned the negative ads. Because we live here in Washington, hmm. D.C., we saw a lot of them. Yeah. Aimed at you. Pardon me? Aimed at you, the negative yeah. ads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's a master at it, I will I will say. Um, you know, someone told me before I ran, they said, you don't know how you'll feel about it until you actually see yourself in those ads. And I have to be very honest they didn't bother me at all because they were so divorced from the truth. They were so made up and inaccurate that I couldn't take them seriously. Unfortunately, I think some voters did take them seriously, which was the intent, and um, they had a negative impact, certainly. I, I can, you know, we did push back on the one that uh, related to our development project where they accused me of breaking promises, which we did not. Um, and we sent evidence to all the networks that we had not. And they didn't take them down. So, you know, that was, that was I think, one of the most disturbing pieces of this is that there is very little interest in the truth when you're paying millions of dollars to put ads on the air, um, that's that's unfortunate. I'm wondering, was that the biggest learning curve for you, or were there other areas that you thought, wow, well, the, I didn't the, realize this was going to happen? No, I knew that I'd get slammed. I just thought that once we told them that 
look, this isn't true and this is why and give them the evidence that they'd say, oh, you know, this isn't right and take them down. Nope. <laughs> didn't, didn't go quite that easily. Um, that was one. Uh, another was certainly the impact of money in politics, which I knew going in in an academic way, but I'd never really felt it in a very personal way. And it's a problem. It's a, it's a real problem. As a candidate for Congress, every day you've got to get up and either give speeches, shake hands, raise money, participate in panel discussions, uh, do a debate or two. How did you get motivated every day to do all that is involved in being a candidate for Congress? You know, the getting motivated was not a problem for me. Um, one of my kids who when I made the decision to do this, was really not in favor of it because he worried about, you know, what would happen to me. Um, about two months or three months in, I saw him and he said, you know, mom, I was wrong. He said, I've never seen you with more energy. I have to tell you, I've never worked harder in my life and I've worked hard in my life, but I've 15 hour days, seven days a week, and yet you wake up with an incredible energy. And part of this is that I am mission driven, which is something I learned about myself. I always knew that I was, you know, had this mission motive in anything I did, but I didn't realize how strong it was. And then getting out in the district gives you energy, meeting people, real people with real lives and real concerns. Um, that does motivate you in, in a very positive way. So let me ask you about a couple of moments during the campaign last year. First of all, Hillary Clinton announcing that Virginia Senator Tim Kaine is on the ticket. You're running in Virginia. Yeah. What was your reaction? Uh, very positive. Tim's. I've known Tim for many, many years, always supported his um, candidacies, and he's a wonderful man. So I thought he was a great choice, and I believed, and I do think that bore out, that he was helpful in Virginia. Did he help you in your race? You know, it's hard to tell. I, I didn't win, but I don't know what the impact might have been had he not been on the ticket. Um, so I have to think that he did, certainly. There was another moment in the fall FBI Director James Comey announcing mm. a oh, reopening the investigation based on some emails on Anthony Weiner's uh, server. What was your reaction when that happened, and what impact do you think that had on the overall campaign, both for you and for the top of the ticket? I think it had a real impact um, on the campaign. Now, let me just preface this by saying I don't believe there was any political motive by Director Comey in doing that. and. Certainly, I can only speculate in, as to why he felt it so important to announce it at that point in the campaign. But I do believe it had a very big impact. Certainly in the 10th District, what we found was that it was just like one more punch in the gut for Democrats. And anyone who might have been kind of hanging in there and wavering, many of them stayed home. Um, and it also then, when he followed up with the announcement that, oh, no, never mind, we're not going to indict, it, it re-energized a lot of Trump supporters in the western part of the district. And they came out um, in m record numbers to vote for Donald Trump. So 
you know, it, I, I believe it did have an impact. What did your internal polling tell you during the fall for you personally? Yeah, but three weeks out, we were up by four points. And we got word that her internal polling had us dead even. I mean, the week before, we were dead even going into that, um, into the race. And at the end of the day, we lost by six. So I don't know. Were you going through an emotional roller coaster in the fall? Did you feel like, boy, we're going to win this thing? I mean, what was it going sure through your I did. mind? Of course. <laughs> You, I don't think you can do what you have to do if you don't believe you're going to win. And we did believe. We had a really great chance to win. Um, it just didn't work out that way. So do election you, night was disappointing. I, I want to come back to that in a moment. Do you have another race in you? Um. I have no plans to run for public office again. Um, I'm really excited about the Democrats who are stepping up in the 10th district. Um, there's been a heavy recruiting effort and I've met with many of them. And it's a great group of Democrats who are running. So I don't really see a reason f for me to do it. I, I, in reflection, you know, it takes a while to recover from this. Um, kind of experience. When you lose, it's a little bit like hitting a brick wall or falling off a cliff. Um, you've been giving everything you have to this endeavor, you know, this goal, and you're surrounded by people who are working so hard and volunteers who are working so hard. And, seven, you know, within a week after the election, everyone's gone. It's it all disappears. And there were even moments when you would I would look back and say, did that really happen? Did I really do that? Because it's it just stops so quickly. And fortunately for me, I had my business. I went right back to work in my business. I had something valuable to do for candidates who are running. And that is their life. My goodness, I can't imagine, you know. Um, and for me, it took three or four months to, you know, you're pretty bumped and bruised up by the end. So, <laughs> so Democrat, Republican, Independent, anyone who's thinking about running for Congress in 2018, what would be the personal advice Luann Bennett would give those individuals? Oh, get ready for quite a ride. Um, I have great, great respect for people who run for public office. It is an important thing to do. Um, our government, we have the greatest form of democracy known to man, and it's worth fighting for. And we're not in great shape right now. We need to listen to the voters. We need to listen to people who aren't typically our constituencies. Um, and we need to represent everyone in our districts. So my advice would be get out and listen and hear the voters and, you know, do it to serve, not to have the title. And if you're genuinely doing it to serve, you can't lose. And I don't feel, I mean, I know I lost the election, but I won in so many ways personally. So. You know, it was a great experience. Two final points. First of all, election night. Yeah. What was that like? <laughs> it, um, you know, it was tough. 
it was tough. I had to get up and give a speech to a room full of people who did, who had supported me. My kids had all come in to town and spent the last, which was another great gift, having them spend the last week in town with me campaigning was really wonderful for us as a family. Um, but it was hard. But you know what? Life is hard sometimes. You can't be afraid of that. You have to just be willing to put yourself out there and do what you believe is right. And as time passes and you look back, you know, this is one of the greatest gifts about being in my 60s. I am now 63. And I love it in this respect is you can look back and you have enough runway behind you that you can kind of connect the dots of your life. And you see how the things that happen, happen for a reason and they make you who you are. So it helps you put something like this in perspective in a way that maybe in my 30s I wouldn't have been able to. So, you know, go for it. <laughs> Finally, as you look at uh, Congress and this president from the outside, mm. how are they doing? Um, boy, that's a complicated question. Clearly, um, I'm disturbed by a lot of the things that are coming out of the administration. Um, Values-wise, we're clearly not on the same page. We don't agree about what, where the direction we need to go in this country. Um, I think the Democrats are doing a surprisingly good job for being in the minority. Um, to stop some things, um, and I, you know, I'm gratified by the resistance movement that has is stepping up. I think the greatest gift of Donald Trump for Democrats will be that he has gotten millennials off the, their couches. He has gotten a lot of Democrats to realize that our country won't stay great unless we make it so. It's not just going to happen like anything else that's worth something, you have to work for it. So I'm, you know, I'm gratified that that's happening and, you know, I have faith. The personal story of Lou Ann Bennett, what it's like to run for Congress, <laughs> a 2016 candidate in Northern Virginia. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Steve. You've been listening to C-SPAN's The Sidebar. Be sure to follow C-SPAN and C-SPAN Radio on Twitter and let us know what you'd like to hear about in future episodes by using the hashtag C-SPAN Sidebar. If you like the program, please like, rate, and review us wherever you listen to podcasts. By the way, every C-SPAN podcast is available on the free C-SPAN Radio app for Apple and Android devices, as well as Google Play Music, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts. Thank you for listening.